Hi, this is Paul, and I have a, a very Christian Reformed conversation that we're going to do today, and I'm having it with Reverend Lloyd Hemstreet. Uh, Lloyd, where do you where do you pastor? I am a pastor at uh, Coopersville CRC. That's where I've been serving since uh, I was called first call in 2016 here. Okay, Coopersville CRC, and Coopersville is where? That would be in West Michigan, uh, kind of halfway between Grand Rapids and Grand Haven. So right right in between that area, between Grand Rapids and the lake. Okay, okay, good. Now we're going to talk about an overture, and we'll have to explain what an overture is. But before we do that, as anybody who watches my channel knows, that we usually take an unusually long time in biography, because I don't believe we can actually have a um, I don't actually, I don't believe we'll have a very good conversation if those of you watching don't at least have some sense of who Lloyd is and how we all got to this point. And the reason I do this is because obviously uh, the what's going on in the Christian Reformed Church right now is pretty contentious. There are a lot of emotions in on both sides. And I think we tend to do better in conflict if we know each other at least at at some level, we we will do less straw manning and kneecapping and all of those kinds of things. So, um, you know, usually if I do a Randos conversation, we'll, we might spend an hour on biography, but maybe we'll only go 15 minutes. So, Lloyd. Um, that sounds good. You know, when I first saw your name, because, you know, we all skim a lot more, I thought, well, you know, in my mind, you were Heemstra, but then it's, no, it's Hemstreet. It's like, that doesn't sound very Dutch. So. Yeah. Not very Dutch, and um, this is a CRC conversation, but I'm not nearly as CRC as you, for example, Paul. So, yeah, yeah, so um, however, my name was English or anglicized from Van Heemstraten. So, oh, that was so, a very Dutch name. <laughs> there we go. So, so we do have that back, uh, but that was many generations ago. There's been a lot of uh interbreeding, if you want to say, <laughs> in my family. And uh, my mother's side was all uh, German, actually. Oh, okay. And so, so yeah, I'm I'm mostly German, but I do have some Dutch uh, lineage as well. So, okay, well let's yep. let's start with um, let's start with your parents and you growing up. Yep. Did, did you grow up in church? Um, yes, I did. Um, yeah, my my parents. Going back to them, my mother was uh, grew up in Japan from one to eighteen. As a missionary child over there, my grandparents were Baptist missionaries to Japan. Uh, my grandpa had received or felt called to go and serve there after battling against the Japanese in World War II. And he was heading towards the mission field before he had been drafted. And then he felt called, nope, this is the mission field I need to go to. There's actually a story of him and my Grandma, who was his fiance at the time, both thought they were called somewhere else and letters passing in the ocean of, no, we're going to Japan. And if that means we can't be together, that means we can't be together. So that was how she grew up in Japan. Um, Interesting. I, yep. This, yep. This, last summer, this last summer, I read, um, I, was, I did a lot of reading on the Pacific War. And mm -hmm. that period after the Second World War, what happened in Japan, it's really an amazing story. Mm -hmm. um, churches didn't necessarily flourish and pro proliferate, no. but the the sort of healing that happened after the war is really unprecedented given 
you know everything that went on during the war the yep. um the obviously the, the the nuclear bombings of hiroshima mm-hmm. nagasaki the fire bombings of tokyo i mean that thing was set up to just be a, a tremendously bitter conflict and and what happened is, is really one of the amazing stories of the 20th yep. century so anyway, uh, she graduated from high school over in uh, over in Japan. Went to CAJ, which I know there are Christian Reform uh, connections to, and uh, uh, those that were missionaries over there that send some of their kids there. You have to as spell well. out CAJ. Uh, Christian uh, Academy of ja- Japan, I believe, is what it okay. is. So, yep. So uh, at 18, uh, 18, 19 years old, she came to Grand Rapids, Michigan to go to uh, Baptist Bible College that is now known as Cornerstone University here in Grand Rapids. So that is how she came to West Michigan. Um, My father, on the other hand, grew up born and raised in Grand Rapids, and uh, he did not grow up in a Christian family. Uh, His mother would attend uh, a very um, progressive congregational church once a year or something like that. Maybe once every few years, she'd kind of go and attend a service, but that was about it. Uh, however, after high school, uh, he got was dating a gal that was from the Netherlands Reformed Church, and uh, and they even became engaged at one point in time, but she couldn't send him to a Netherlands Reformed Church. That wouldn't be acceptable. <laughs> and so she recommended he attend the Reformed Baptist Church in Grand Rapids. And so that is uh, where he uh, came to the faith and, and uh, yeah, got, was discipled. And uh, that's where he ended up meeting my mother as well. So that was how they got together. Uh, unfortunately, there were a lot of challenges at that Reformed Baptist Church and um, the, the struggles there. After a number of years, my dad started speaking up and challenging the pastors and saying, this isn't right. And uh, they would not accept any criticism, anyone speaking against them. And my parents were put under church discipline uh, from that church to the point that uh, my aunt and uncle, who attended a sister church out in New Jersey, uh, they would not speak to my parents for a number of years. Uh, So that was part of their reality. A couple of years after uh, my parents left, there came adultery that the pastor was involved in and other you know, sins and things blew up, but uh, they were never reconciled back to that congregation. Um, and and so I grew up in Baptist churches with a reformed understanding of salvation, especially, but my parents never again, again joined or became members of another church because of the wounds from that. Wow. And uh, it, it worked out to about every two to three years, uh, we would be in a different church, either because the church we were going to was such a small Baptist church that it would close or uh, something would come up and, and we would end up heading to a different church. So that's how I grew up. I uh, grew up in the faith, though, hearing the gospel um, under conviction of sins, four or five years old, praying with my mother. Uh, then when I was 11, 12 years old, she starts challenging me. Hey, you say you're a Christian. You need to be reading God's word and living in accordance with it. So that was my my upbringing. Uh, when were you baptized? I, what, what What's that? When were you baptized? I was not. Um, they had a very, uh, they, they said, hey, you need to be sure of your salvation. And so almost a little bit towards the Netherlands reform kind of questioning of salvation, yeah, but yeah. not that level. Yeah. Uh, so when I was 18, 17, 18 years old, 
they started switched to another church again, but it was a church that a friend of theirs was pastor at, and it was an OPC church. And then I heard of baptizing babies for the first time. And I'm the strangest thing. What in the world is going on here? But uh, so so there was about three years that we were attending an OPC church and uh, going, going there. And um, at the end of that time, the pastor they were friends with had left. Someone else had come in and they had a lot of questions about where things were going. They felt, you know what, it's time to head back to another Baptist church. So they moved to another Baptist church. But uh, friends of mine from there said, hey, we're going to start going to Sparta Trinity CRC with Reverend C.J. Dendalk there, oh, and you should come and hear him preach. And so I was 20 years old the first time I entered a, a Christian Reformed Church in July of 2001. And um, yeah, that's where I was and struggled with, you know, I, I had friends challenging me at that time. You need to make profession of faith. You need to be baptized. I was not yet. Um, you need to serve in in a church. And uh, so after wrestling through the issue of infant baptism for a solid six months, studying it, working it out, I saw enough of it in scripture that I'm like, okay, I don't have all the answers, but I understand what they're seeing, what they're talking about. I see how God is working through covenants and with families. And so I was like, all right, I have to move forward by faith here and and become a member of a church. And so I was uh, baptized in the Christian Reformed Church at uh, 21 years of, of age, uh, September of 2022 or 2002. Did you, did you go to, did you go to Christian school or homeschool or public school? I was school? homeschooled. I was homeschooled my whole life. So yeah. Really? Yep. I was homeschooled. Uh, Through high Michigan, school. It was in Michigan. It was against the law to homeschool your children when my parents started doing it. And it was, uh, I was six, seven, eight years old, somewhere like that when uh, the laws changed in the mid to late eighties. And they said, okay, it's legal. You can homeschool your children. But uh, it was before it was legal that my parents were homeschooling me. Wow. Interesting. That's very so, interesting. So I, I was a classmate of CJ. I knew him at seminary. He was, he's, oh. he's always, he was always a fun guy. Okay. Um, he was, he was a very, CJ was a lot of fun. Um, okay. So talk, talk to me about your call to ministry. Sure. Uh, well, I got involved at uh, Sparta. And one of the things that I, I thought was, if I'm going to serve in a church, I, or if I'm going to be a member of a church, I need to serve in a church. And so for the first couple of years, I said yes to everything that they were looking for volunteers for, more or less. And got involved in all kinds of things and found out I had gifts in some areas and found out I didn't have gifts in other areas at that time in my life. Um, so one of the things I got involved in was, uh, uh, well, one of the things I got involved in was they started a ministry and they tried to have me lead it for a time of visiting shut-in members of the congregation. And um, my leadership and organizational skills weren't so effective at that time. And that ministry kind of fizzled out. But uh, from that, I developed a friendship with uh, several older ladies in the congregation. And so I would visit them about once a month or something like that, just to, to go by and, and, and visit with them and, and stay in touch. Uh, in 2005, one of those members had a stroke and uh, ended up in the hospital. And CJ was back in uh, Westminster for one of the uh, January meetings that they have there, their their conventions or, or what have you. And so I was like, well, I might as well go. I know 
I know the lady. I know her daughter that's a, a member of our church. I might as well go to a hospital and visit there. So I did that for the first time in 2005. And uh, when I did so, that was how I uh, met my wife, her great granddaughter oh. uh, was <laughs> who I met. So that was part of the story that came from getting involved in all kinds of ministry. But uh, other things that I did before that time between 2002 and 2005, uh, taught Sunday school, uh, went with a, in a mission we were doing to an inner city uh, church, Coit Community, CRC. They, we were helping out with uh, catechism classes that they were doing. So I was going and leading that, um, was involved in the uh, ministry, visiting uh, elderly members, shut-in members. And then I was also preaching in the Kent County Jail with a team of guys uh, that were doing that. So that was all before a call to ministry. I was involved in those ways. And people started saying, hey, maybe you're called to ministry. And uh, with my grandparents and my aunt and uncle being mi missionaries to Japan, ministry wasn't something that I was against by any means. However, I felt very convicted that, you know what, there are a lot of people I would say in pulpits that I would say are not called to be there just in the, the nation and, and broader church. And I did not want that to be me. And so I was like, I'm not going to just put myself forward. I need to know where, where am I being led? So okay. that's what I was wrestling with. Uh, it was November of 2004 that uh, I was helping out with CJ with catechism classes. He teaches everybody, I think it's third grade through 12th grade on Wednesday nights for catechism, uh, twice a month still. And so I was helping him out. And after we got done, he, he said, you know, Lloyd, I get calls from churches every week looking for godly young men to come and lead and serve in these congregations. What's going on? What are you doing? And, you know, I told him, I'm not sure. I don't I don't know. Um, but at Sparta, the elders gather every Thursday morning for prayer for the congregation. And so uh, he said, can the elders pray? Well, you can't tell your pastor, the elders are not allowed to pray no, no about, prayer. obviously. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's not going to be an option. And so I said, sure, they can pray. And maybe after, uh, you know, a few months, 60, 90 days, maybe I'll have some direction of this is the call for me or not. Um, they met for prayer that next morning. And that next morning, I woke up with just a settled conviction and assurance that I was called to serve I was called to shepherd a flock. I was called to lead God's people in a, a local congregation somewhere. Okay. And so that's when it all changed for me. And the next question was, oh, now how do I get there? Education. Uh, yeah. Did you, yeah. Did you yeah. have a college degree at that point or not I yet? did not have any college degree. I had dropped out of school in uh, at 18 in a home school. I was planning on going into business and sales. I didn't need education. And so I was like, Oh, this changes things. So I ended up uh, getting involved with uh, Kuiper College, uh, taking what back when it was Reformed Bible College. I took my first class there just to figure out, can I take a college class or not? And um, as I was doing that, my mother was battling cancer. Uh, she was really, she was in a three-year battle with cancer and really started to decline. So I passed my one uh, Old Testament survey class but then I uh, pulled out of the second semester as my mom was declining. She ended up passing away of cancer um, that, that year in 2006, January 2006. So um, went through that, ended up, uh, yeah, my wife who I'd met at that time, we started dating a few months later and we got married in 2007. 
And then it was 2008 before I was able to get back into college and, and start going full time. And so, yeah, 2008 to 2012, uh, went through Kuiper College and graduated from there with a pre-seminary degree. And then 2012 to 2016, spent four years at uh, Calvin Seminary and graduated from there. I was set up to do to, to fly right through and, and make a quick uh, trip through Calvin. But I was working full time all the way through Kuiper as well as Calvin. And uh, we also felt it was going to be time to start a family. And so we were like, well, I'll do the four-year plan at, at Calvin. And yeah, we were successful in starting a family. Um, managed to go from zero to five children during my time at, at Calvin Seminary, as providentially it would wow. go. So. Yeah. I have five kids. I know what that's. Uh, yeah. What, what's that? Yeah. What, what? How? How? How long did it take you to have five kids? Yeah. Well, that we didn't do it the traditional way, but that's kind of part of our story too. Uh, in 2010, my dad had uh, health issues and ended up passing away, and I'm the oldest of five children, and so my youngest sister was uh, 16 at the time. So, oh. so she came to live with my wife and I. Uh, she, just before her 17th birthday until she went away to college uh, at, at 18 in 2012 is when uh, she went away. Oh, so wow. so so we had one child uh, it, under our roof as guardian during that time. Then uh, in my second uh, second semester at seminary, we had my firstborn just turned 10 yesterday. And so we had her. Eight months later, uh, my sister had gone through a divorce. She had lost her kids. They'd gone to be with her, their father. He didn't want them anymore. And so uh, we ended up taking in my sister's three kids that were at the time, uh, they were nine, seven, and five. Oh my. So middle of my first semester of Hebrew, uh, eight months into being parents of our own children, uh, we got a nine, seven and five year old. And the next week we had to start getting them on the bus and start doing homework with them. And, and that, and then uh, 18 months after my daughter was born, my son was born. And so that's how we made it to five during my time in seminary. Oh, Lloyd. Um, <laughs> that's a lot. That was a lot. That was a lot. And um, yeah, they're, that that was a lot. Uh, there was also the challenge of of as we were kind of coming up and wrapping up seminary and exiting seminary. Uh, we were expecting our third child in December of my next to last semester, and uh, we had our first miscarriage during oh. finals time during that. And so, you know, that was uh, something to that was a heavy load to walk through too yeah. in a place where I had no room to, or mental capacity no, to try and no, process it or be no. with my wife at all. So yeah, my sister's kids ended up living with us for three years. And uh, then her, their, my, my sister, their mother got back on her feet, got her life back together. And uh, as I was transitioning, we ended up moving four different houses in the year between selling our house and taking the call to Coopersville. Uh, but during that time, they were, were able to go back to their mother and, and she uh, was able to take over care of them again. Wow. So we were down to just two kids when I came to Coopersville. Um, but we were expecting number three. And uh, the first two had both came early, which was nice. And I was trying to 
get through my uh, classical examination and schedule ordination. And the day that it worked out was for the day before her uh, due date for her number three. And I'm like, the other kids came early. It'll be fine. Well, she didn't come early. And so 3 a.m. in the morning, my wife wakes me up and says, it's time to go to the hospital. Yeah. I tried to tell her something like I prayed and it wasn't going to be today. That's not, it's not going to be and tried to roll over. Uh, she then woke me up again and informed me that's not how this works. <laughs> so we ended up taking her to the hospital and uh, uh, yeah, so she got an epidural and kind of things slowed down there. So about seven 30, we're talking to each other and like, I guess I go and get ordained. And so I, uh, <laughs> I went uh, to home, got dressed for the, that and uh yeah cj came and he did the service and he's like i've heard of people who got husbands getting out sent out to tear sheets or put water on to boil but i've never heard of a uh, someone getting sent out to go get ordained yeah <laughs> but yeah. that's what what took place wow uh so i called her right after the service and and she said things are going slow no real progress yeah. the church is going to have a welcome the new pastor potluck you might as well stay get some lunch and then make your way down here and so I got off the phone with her and came back in and uh, a couple of the older ladies of the congregation said, we do not want you as our pastor if you don't go and be with your wife. And so I got kicked out of my uh, potluck to welcome the new pastor <laughs> and uh, ended up having lunch in the cafeteria at the hospital with my my mother-in-law. And then about four o'clock in the afternoon, my, my daughter, third daughter was born. So okay. That was how we got to number three. And uh, today we are up to five of our five children of our own in our home. Wow. So congratulations. Yeah. So what that's kind the, of our, our life and family what story. The, what was the transition into um, into full-time ministry like for you? It was um, good. It was it was a healthier pace to some extent. Uh, Cooper's oh, yeah. Has, <laughs> Cooper's, <laughs> Coopersville has two services. So preaching every Sunday morning and evening and yeah. You know, that was drinking from a fire hose, trying to, yeah. to get out up to all that. Yeah. But uh, at the same time, between working full time, school full time and family yeah. life, you know, it just did not it was not a healthy situation in the home. Uh, yeah. Wasn't have been sustainable for our yeah. decade or anything crazy like that. And so it was a blessing to get into um, transition into ministry and have more flexibility to see my kids and, and be around them as they grow up. So yeah. yeah, that was a blessing. Talk to me a little bit about your church. What's your church like? Yeah. Um, our church is a hundred year old congregation now, uh, turned 100 in 2020. Uh, it is a congregation that, um, yeah, it is, we're in one of the uh, early historic uh, settings of the CRC, one of the four original churches, but our church is not uh, directly related to that congregation. It closed here, and uh, then our church was a number of decades later uh, started here. So it is a congregation that never had services in Dutch. Uh, it was more outreach-minded uh, than that as wow. it, it started um, in 2020 or 1920. Uh, it's a congregation that um, grew and uh, was blessed by the Lord, had big Dutch families, lots of farming in the community yep. and farming families. Uh, very typical story. However, in the 90s, it really ran into some challenges. And then it had a pastor that um, there were struggles with end of the 90s, uh, beginning of 2000s, where the congregation that, you know, the balcony was full and they had to set out chairs out behind uh, the sanctuary, it 
dropped to uh, less than a third of the size that it was over wow. that decade or so. Uh, we had an Article 17 with the pastor that was serving here, and it went through a four-year vacancy. And so okay, Article 17 is a separation. Correct. For those, Correct. Of, for those of you watching this video that might not be able to cite Christian Reformed Church Order <laughs> articles that have an understanding what they refer to, Article 17 is a separation between the church and pastor, either initiated by the church or by the pastor. And so it's right. a right. sometimes in the Christian Reformed Church, it's sort of like a no-fault divorce. Sometimes mm -hmm. it's just a matter of practicality. Sometimes there's serious difference of opinion between church yep. and council. And so that happens. So so that's 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 what happens. And that's that's what happened here. And they went through a four year vacancy, um, went from worshiping 300 some people on a Sunday morning down to, to 70, 60, 70, 80 people. Mm. And um, that's where it was. Uh, the minister that was called before me kind of served at the bottoming of, of that whole trajectory. But there was a core group that said, no, we're going to stay. We're going to continue to worship together. And um, he kind of saw that uh, saw that through. And after six, seven years, uh, he took a call to another congregation. But uh, during that six years here, he went through from the uh, nursery being closed, no new children at all to a few families stayed and, and started having babies together. Okay. Um, that has continued and uh, it's uh, accelerated for a season, though I think we're kind of leaving that season now. But uh, now we have a, a Sunday school with 30 plus kids in it. Um, all, most of uh, the majority of them, sixth grade to, to two years old or so. And okay. so we have a, a very healthy, younger, generation where don't have much of that middle school or high school age that kind of is missing. But then we have a whole group of, of parents that are, you know, parents of young kids. And then we have a number of, of older members that have been in the, the congregation for, for years or all their lives. So, so yeah, that's kind of what we are. Uh, Sunday morning, we worship around 100, 110 people uh, or so at a Sunday morning service is, is what we have. And yeah, going through and navigating COVID, uh, I would say one of the big blessings of COVID was we're a smaller congregation in a large building. And so that made us like easier <laughs> lot, in that lots way. Lots of room to spread out. <laughs> yeah, we were able to do that. Uh, but, you know, we weren't particularly online or online savvy or anything like that. So that was, uh, you know, that week that we went from word of things closing down to the last service we had. Uh, that was possibly my most stressful three to four days in ministry, just uh, the speed of everything changing. Yeah. Um, we we ended up shutting down being online only for five weeks. But uh, a friend of mine from the classes had said, hey, what about getting an FM transmitter? And so I bought one on eBay early and I pitched it to the, to the el elders. And they're like, I don't know about that. But as things continued, we got past uh, Easter and they're like, okay, we'll, we'll try it. So they've rolled in a hay wagon and I preached from on a hay wagon uh, with, through an FM transmitter. So everybody dialed in like a drive-in movie. And uh, yeah, we did five weeks of worshiping together with, as uh, me preaching from a hay wagon here in Coopersville. Okay. So is your congregation it now? I would just I just pulled up a map and you're right it's it's pretty much sort of halfway between um Grand Rapids and Grand Haven is yep. is the church you know but Grand Rapids continues to sort of grow out in a suburban way is it ag suburban what's what's it, the 
it's it's more ag than suburban still in okay. Coopersville area. Uh, right across the river from us, just south of us, is Allendale. And uh, we have a number of Christian Reformed churches there. Yeah. And, you know, uh, their, their farms are disappearing because the Grand Valley State University sprawled out and it's all become housing. That hasn't happened as much in Coopersville. There's building, um, but it's it's uh, there's still a large amount of farms uh, surrounding the little town of Coopersville. So okay, dairy, what kind of farming? Yep, yep, dairy. Uh, okay. We have number of of medium sized dairy farmers uh, okay. that are members of our congregation, and so beyond that, we have trade workers and employees, and yeah, manufacturers and all all the other. Uh, school teachers and so forth, okay. lots of medical. So, okay. yep. Um, now, some people might recognize your face from uh, Abide. Talk this is me, true. Talk to me about Abide, how that thing got going, how you got involved and, okay. and how you see that that yeah uh yeah i'm i'm involved in the bide project uh long before it had a name i was involved in it uh i was part of a group that uh you know we'll be getting together a little later this afternoon once a month we get together for lunch over in zealand at wolfie's sandwich shop and so uh you know out of that group i've made connections into a denomination that i didn't grow up in and so you know i didn't have so many of those connections um and in 2020, they started having hosting uh, Zoom meetings just to talk through the human sexuality report after it was released and start going in that way. And that those early meetings are kind of what formed into Abide. Uh, I was on the ballot for the original uh, steering team, but uh, lost out to a more competent and uh, <laughs> a candidate. Uh, how's, and, how's Abide organized? So it sort yeah. of sat, it sounds like it grew organically and then, then it's right. sort of structured. Yeah, yeah. They said, hey, we need to have kind of a steering committee. We need to have someone, we, we should have some shape to this. And so they formed a steering committee. Uh, what they did was kind of took the regions of the denomination and they tried to get a, 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 a volunteer or two from each of those that we could vote on um, from all these sections and split it up so it wasn't just us West Michiganders uh, <laughs> trying to run the whole thing. Yeah. And so that's how it originally uh, formed the steering committee. I think we had 10 people or something like that that we voted on and then they added one or two to it. Um, is one this of the an things informal that, thing is it actually is there any um it's not a 501c3 or anything like that it's just a well actually how it works is uh we were talking about that we were deciding what way we wanted to go with that we didn't know how long this project was going to be and so it came up that it was discussed that hey maybe the best way to do this is it will be a ministry and have its steering team but it will be under the head of a local congregation and uh, at that time, it looked like Coopersville was a good fit for that. And so financially, it is under the Coopersville CRC. Oh. It, you, there's a report every month to our council, and our okay. council makes decisions on, on uh, some, some decisions along with the steering committee. Uh, and so that's what we are. It's a ministry of Coopersville CRC. And as such, I get the uh, joy of being the treasurer and trying to do the book work for it. So... That, that so. sounds, I know some people watching this will think, why on earth is Vanderclay interested in, in how they organize this thing? Yeah. But those kind of questions are important mm -hmm. with something like this. And for me, who who watch, tends to watch the CRC and try and understand how it's working and not just 
in terms of the formal church structure, yeah. but the Christian Reformed Church has a long history of institution building. Uh, Christian mm -hmm. Reformed people tend to be institution builders. And, you know, we've seen that with Holland Homes, Christian Day Schools, you know, right. all sorts of things Christian Reformed churches have spun off. So I was, you know, you abide as a website, there's a YouTube page, there's, right. there's a variety of things. I didn't hear about abide until I was a church visitor at a congregation meeting at First Ripon when they were okay. discussing leaving the denomination. Yeah. And someone said to me, have you heard of the Abide Project? I thought, nope. <laughs> and um, and then eventually something came up. And then obviously with the Human Sexuality Report and everything yeah. that's gone on um, in the Christian Reformed Church, especially in, in Synod 2022, um, Abide has a lot higher profile than it had you know, yeah. earlier on. Yeah, certainly did. So what's, what's, what so, are yeah. the goals of abide? Uh, that was kind of a moving target because we kind of, uh, the, the reason that we got together was to discuss the human sexuality report and then to promote the human sexuality report. And then the human sexuality report was adopted. Um, but there's lots of people pushing back on that and so forth. And so, there was questions, would we just be around for one year or would we continue on? Is there more work for us to do? Um, is it one thing to just adopt it on paper and is it another thing to actually live this out and say, yeah, we're going to be faithful and go in that direction. And so that's what the steering team, uh, steering committee decided that there's more work to be done. We don't know long-term exactly, you know, it, it's kind of something that's happened organically. This wasn't something that we had a mastermind put a 10-year plan in or something. It's just, uh, well, let's see what we can do. And uh, the majority of Abide has all been, like myself, full-time ministers with two services on Sunday to prepare for. And we're trying to do a little work in the denomination uh, beyond our work in the classes too. And so that's been the majority of of everyone that's supported. We've had a couple of retired pastors that have helped us out for various things, but the, the majority of it is just, uh, you know, it's uh, yeah something that we're doing as a hobby on the side, if you would, uh, just trying to promote uh, what we see as the faithful way in the denomination. So, okay. okay. So, yeah. Well, I think, I think that's a, that's a good lay of the land. Maybe we'll transition into this overture. I'll do a Sounds little, good. I'll do a little explaining for people. What on earth we're talking about with a classis and an overture. In Sounds the Christian good. Reformed Church, there are local congregations. The Christian Reformed Church has sort of tries to have a balanced ecclesiology between local congregations, um, the classis, which is a judiciary. Sometimes these things are called mid-level judiciaries because they tend they are made up of delegations from each local congregation, usually in a geographic region. And that wrinkle um, has gotten more complex. I should also note that the Christian Reformed Church split off, the Christian Reformed Church in North America split off from the Reformed Church of America, which um, is the oldest, um, the oldest Protestant denomination in North America brought over by the Dutch. They're directly related to the Dutch state church. And uh, the Christian Reformed Church, I won't go into too much of that history, split off in West Michigan over a variety of issues in the middle of the 19th century. And a lot of the immigrants um, in that late 19th century wave that came over to West Michigan and a few other places in North America, New Jersey, Iowa, some other places, um, 
a lot of those immigrants joined the Christian Reformed Church for a variety of reasons. Um, so the Christian Reformed Church has organized their local congregations. There are classes. That's going to be important to this mm -hmm. conversation because this overture regards the classical structure. And then synod is a binational body made up of delegates from classes from the United States and Canada. Currently, the Christian Reformed Church is a binational church in that there are delegations from the United States and Canada. Um, and your your congregation is a member of Classis Zealand. Correct. Yep. We are and for those who might Zealand. not know West Michigan geography, Zealand um, is, besides a place in the Netherlands, the Dutch who moved to Western Michigan um, tended to rename things in Western Michigan, <laughs> names that they knew back in the Netherlands. So you've got an Overijssel, you've got all of these Dutch, Dutch yep. Coopersville, not so much. No, but, um, no, you've got all of these Borculo, um, all of mm -hmm. these names from the Netherlands in West Michigan. And Classis Zealand is a classis made up of congregations, um, congregations west of Grand Rapids towards the Holland area. Uh, a lot of uh, also a little background for people. The Christian Reformed Church has its heaviest concentration of churches and population in the West Michigan area. Mm -hmm. That's very much an epicenter for the Christian Reformed Church. And um, a lot of the a lot of the discussion and drama that has been happening, especially in uh, subsequent to Synod 2022, um, surrounds Classis East Grand Rapids. Classis mm -hmm. East Grand Rapids is has also has some very important historic congregations in the Christian Reformed Church. And really, and many of the institutions, I mentioned before that the Christian Reformed Church is very much an institution-building denomination. Many of those institutions have been located in the southeast side of Grand Rapids, deep cultural connections between the city of Grand Rapids, especially the southeast side, that Dutch population, the Christian Reformed Church in that area, Calvin University is there, Kuiper College is there, the denominational headquarters is there, Pine Rest, the care home, Raybrook Manor, where my grandparents lived, that's there. This, this incredibly important cluster of institutions right. um, deeply connected with Classis Grand Rapids East. Classis Zealand, uh, probably a fair number of churches with, um, you know, farming communities, historically farming communities, probably mm -hmm. increasingly uh, suburban and bedroom communities for Holland yep. and Grand Rapids. Am I right? Yep, that that's pretty accurate. And yeah, okay. it, the, our our Coopersville is the northmost church in Class of Zealand, okay. and uh, we have one church or, or a couple churches down all the way into Allegan. It's just this narrow uh, strip that is Class of Zealand, okay. where you go three miles over and you're in a different classes, and three miles from our church in our direction, you're in a different classes. But that's how we are situated. So, and, yep. and it's helpful to know, especially for because a lot of some people will watch this video and they might be connected to a Christian Reformed Church in <laughs> out in the U.S. and Canada and have uh, fairly little knowledge about it. They might have like sort of. Uh, low resolution associations with West Michigan. Actually, right. there are there is a diversity of Christian Reformed churches thought and opinion in West Michigan. Yeah. Obviously, Classis Grand Rapids East and some of the conversations going on around human sexuality, for lack of a better, well, I, I'm going to use the term um, 
some more churches that are in, let's say, an affirming posture or seeking mm -hmm. the church, Christian Reformed Church, to go towards an affirming posture. But also in Western Michigan, there are other churches that have a much more traditional view of human sexuality, much more conservative. And West Michigan has all of this just in West Michigan. Right. Right. Very and, accurate. And it's it's important for people to understand that because they sometimes in Christian Reformed parlance, people will complain about Grand Rapids, but that's very <laughs> low resolution. You've got a lot of diversity in Grand Rapids churches on a lot of different scores. So right. all of that is to set up. Um, now, an overture is a it's basically a communication and um, classes often send overtures to Senate. Local churches can send overtures directly to Senate. Individuals can overture Senate. There are overtures and communications. Overtures have much more of an official sense to them. And generally mm -hmm. speaking, um, an overture is a way to communicate officially with the body of Senate. That is the broadest. Um, I, I, you got to be careful in Christian Reformed Church polity. Senate really isn't the highest because the denomination tries to balance the authority of these three levels. Um, but Senate is the broadest assembly. And so church members, um, local councils, and classes can send overtures to the denomination, often with respect to um, a synod. Synod is sort of the large, the broadest assembly, the largest mm -hmm. um, judicial body of the Christian Reformed Church. And um, they, they want an official communication to, um, to, let's say, propose a change, appeal something that has happened. And yeah. often the way this works is that an individual will have an idea for an overture. And sort of the good way to go about bringing this idea forward would be first bring it to the council discuss it at the council. Then usually the ideas will get improved and battle tested and answers will get fleshed out. And then once a council approves it, then you bring it to classes, which has all of these churches in a region and they'll discuss it and they'll tinker with it and they'll approve it. And then if classes decides to make this overture their own, they then can send this to synod. And then the way that works at synod is synod really has two parts, which people don't recognize. The first parts are the advisory committees. Mm -hmm. And what Senate does is takes ever all of the delegates and breaks them up into advisory committees. And those advisory committees process and sort of pre-chew all of the information coming to Senate. And really the only things that get directly to the Senate floor are things that pass through those advisory committees. And that, that confuses a lot of people, but it's especially when we have big issues like the Human Sexuality Report and this entire conversation mm -hmm. in the Christian Reformed Church. It's important that they have this process because generally speaking, what the advisories advisory committees do is allow Synod to, you know, basically with a sample of the delegates, get a sense of what Synod wants to do. And for that reason, most of the time, major um, if the advisory committee can come to um, unanimous agreement on something, Synod will usually go along. It really helps the process. If there's disagreement at the advisory committee, you'll have a majority and minority report. And so the Human Sexuality Committee worked very hard at, were you a delegate at Senate 2022? No, no, I okay. was not. Uh, okay. We I could was. go into that story, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I thought the, the advisory committee that had to deal with that, I think they really did a, a, an, a about as good a job as could have been imagined. 
um, in that. That's heavy work. Tremendously difficult issue. Huge yeah. number of overtures, reports you had a mat. The report itself was massive, over mm -hmm. 200 pages. They had to process all of this. And then the majority report came to, to Senate to, um, to basically recommend the report to the mm -hmm. congregations. That's often what's done with reports. And yep. then obviously the motion to uh, consider um, that list as um, as being basically confessional for the mm -hmm. Christian Reformed Church. That was the that was the the very the deepest contentious question and right. the one that's really right. um, the CRC is really processing. So um, and all of this because when we start talking about this overture, I want people mm -hmm. to have a sense of um, what's actually happening with a document like this. Right. Right, because event yeah. this document will go to an advisory committee, and that advisory committee will process this, and the the document itself may not even get to the Senate floor. Oh yeah, or even the yeah. idea be proposed to Senate. But mm -hmm. the way this conversation happened is Lloyd, um, I you know Lloyd was doing videos for for Abide, and um, and there was some. He and um, another partner, another CRC pastor, had done a little video reporting on Classes Grand Rapids East, which I very much appreciated because out in California, it's really handy to have some eyes on the ground reporting on something like that. And then he said, oh, I've got another overture that's in the works. And when he shared this overture with me, I thought, wow. And when we start talking about this overture, <laughs> this is going to be spicy stuff for some people. <laughs> And a, a bunch of people are going to not be happy that I am giving this this kind of visibility on my channel. <laughs> right. But what I really like about this overture is this overture shows fresh thinking. This overture shows some creativity. And I think this overture um, really, this overture is very interesting when you think about Christian reform structure and process and mm -hmm how the church can function because i think what we're going to see in the next five years is that this conversation is going to change the christian reformed church probably in a way that it hasn't seen um in a very very long time right so right. i i think it's a this is a very interesting overture and so I wanted to talk about it. And I did all of this stuff beforehand. Yep. I know a lot of people are going to be like, Vanderclay spent all this time talking about this stuff. Yeah. Right. But if we jumped into the overture, all of our prejudices and biases, we tend to project on people. So that's why I want the people to know who you are, your background, et cetera, et cetera. Yep. Now we're going to get to the spicy go. stuff. <laughs> all right. right. So well, I'm going to pull up. Oh, where do you want to start? Well, why don't I just start with a little bit of how we got to or how I got to where, where we're at. Um, OK. In, in 2020, I was kind of feeling out well, learning what it meant to be a pastor. And I had done an overture to a class uh, to class of Zealand about something just internal. But in 2020, with the human sexuality report out there and looming in the future, I thought uh, there was a communication that I wanted to write and my council agreed. And so we sent it to Classes Zealand, uh, which got sent on to, uh, to Synod 2020. Uh, communication one, <laughs> page 569 of the deferred agenda is where that one came up. Uh, along with that, I was also delegated to Synod 2020 which uh, those in the CRC will know that was the first synod in our entire history that was ever canceled, that we did not meet and gather. Uh, then 
in summer of 2020, unbeknownst to me, there was an issue in Classes Grand Rapids East, a congregation there by the name of Neyland Avenue CRC, went ahead and ordained a lady uh, that was married to another lady as a deacon. Um, word of that first came to me by one of my congregation members who made profession of faith decades ago in that church and still had friends in that church that were concerned about it and leaving. And so that was where I learned about it before it was written in the banner or uh, Calvin Chimes posted on it. Um, so my elders and I started discussing it and we sent a communication to Neeland. Uh, Neeland responded to us and our council responded in another communication to Neeland as well. Uh, in classes Zealand, another church brought a communication at our October meeting that we sent to classes Grand Rapids East, uh, calling them to, hey, pay attention to what's going on and, and bring this congregation in line. All of that kind of now progressed bring this further. Congregation in line because the um, the the pastoral advice given to all churches in the Christian Reformed Church was the, the 1973 position on on homosexuality, mm -hmm. and, and so and there had been a number of years ago an incident in Classes Toronto Correct. where class, uh, a church in Toronto was considering ordaining as elder someone living in a same-sex relationship, and um, that came all the way to Synod, and basically Synod um, talked about it and basically told Classes Toronto, you should dissuade the church from doing such, and Classes Toronto did so, and the church backed down. So that happened a number of years right. ago. So that's yep. a little bit of helpful information it, with respect to me. It's around the time that I was just beginning to uh, go to the CRC church for the first time that that was taking place in Toronto. So I had no idea of it, it, it happening back then, uh, but it all progressed into Overture 7 that was sent to, class, to Synod 2021, uh, Deferred Agenda, page 458. And uh, part of that overture was we did talk about what took place in Toronto and used that recommendation and, and called for an in loco committee to be to, uh, sent to. Now you're speaking Latin. You better, you know, is loco <laughs> yeah. is that crazy? A crazy committee? Right. Well, you know, I, I think or the maybe people a local that were asked committee. to be on it thought it was crazy, but <laughs> a local committee is what it was. Uh, so uh, a committee designated by Synod to go to that specific locale and deal with a specific issue. And so we proposed that in 2021. 2021, I was also delegated by Class of Zealand to uh, go and serve at Synod. And I'm two you're for the, two. You're the COVID kiss of death for Synod. COVID kiss of death for Synod, yeah. So, so I'm two for two on that. And uh, in 2020, uh, 2021, COD met once again and dealt the with- The Council of Delegates. Uh, Council of Delegates met and dealt with what had to be dealt with and tried to address the issue at Neyland and Grand Rapids East a little bit, but they didn't want to get involved. And so after that, you know, a friend of mine had said, you know, the CRC wants to take the middle way off. And that's kind of what we are historically. We'll take the middle path. And so I'm like, all right, if I'm looking at a middle path in dealing with this and it needs to be to the extent that, you know, I already have elders and others in my church talking about, should we leave the denomination? Is it time to go? You know, I'm like, then mill way has got to be something I can live with. And so I came up with a kitchen sink overture in uh, fall of 2021 that I sent to class of Zealand that I included 
about every idea I could come up with for dealing with it. And uh, we threw it all in an overture, but I spent, sent it specifically to our October meeting so that classes could go, oh, okay, whoa, Lloyd, uh, yeah, this is some crazy talk here, but they went ahead and formed a committee to say, all right, let's take a look at it. And um, it got whittled down and a lot of the crazy ideas got pulled out of there, but it turned into Overture 12 for Synod 2022. Uh, that was the overture to um, admonish classes Grand Rapids East for not following through with Neyland and to um, to remove a privilege of the floor and uh, unseat their delegates. And so classes did not take the or Synod did not take those steps. But um, let, let, it let's did back up a little much. bit and talk about Neyland and Classis Grand Rapids East. Yeah, because a number of years ago, Classis Grand Rapids East, as a classis, released a study on Correct. human sexuality, which said, "Yeah, it it said basically, hey, you can get to this from scripture, and you can approve as long as people are in committed marriages. It doesn't matter." what sex they are as long as they're in that union of, of a two-person marriage, more or less would be how I'd summarize uh, what what they said. That, that's a possibility, at yeah. least. And so. and it's it's important in this conversation that this isn't this this wasn't a document from a local congregation or something on their website with respect right. to their posture with respect to same-sex marriage. This was from a classis, which means that um, at least a majority of the churches in that classis um, could could live with this report. Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean that every church in the classis was happy no. with the report. By it no just means. means that a majority of the churches in the classis were in favor of publishing this report and mm -hmm. saying, you know, this comes from our classes. What what year was that? 2018 that they did that? It wasn't 2018. I, I believe it preceded the 2016. Uh, oh, that's right. The forming of the Committee that's for right. Human Sexuality right. Report, which right. 2016 was when I was ordained. So my knowledge of CRC history before that's kind yeah. of hit or miss a little yeah. bit in places. So and the Human Sexuality Committee was it, it was that was controversial in how that was set up. Correct. Because generally speaking, when the Christian Forum Church names a study committee, they usually try to get sort of broad representation. Mm -hmm. And for that study committee, because of what had happened with some previous committees, mm -hmm. um, they wanted a committee of, of people signing on to that committee who, um, who very much stood behind the position, the official stated position of the Christian right. Reformed Church with respect to this issue. They, they and, declared that would be the starting point. Right. They didn't permit the, or prohibit them from going beyond that if they would, if their study would go beyond that. I don't, okay. I don't understand. Okay. But that was what you had to start here to join this committee. So, yeah. yeah. And that was a, that was a, that was pretty, uh, was a, quite a controversial move. Yeah. But again, it's important to recognize that because I know a lot of people act like they feel blindsided by the decision of Senate 2022. My thesis mm -hmm. has been, if you feel blindsided in 2022, you weren't paying attention in 2016. Because mm -hmm. that rather unprecedented posture, again, passed the full body of Synod, which right. gives an indication about where the um, body of the Christian Reformed Church is with respect to this issue. Mm -hmm. So. So that's yep. important. Okay. Yep. So Classis Grand Rapids yep. East has this posture that they've been on record right. with for at least five years, more yeah. than that. Yeah, more than and, that. And um, and so the classis, when when it comes to the um 
when it came to the announcement from Neyland Avenue with respect mm -hmm. to this deacon, when it came to some now some subsequent statements by Sherman Street Christian Reformed Church and yeah. Eastern Avenue Christian Reformed Church, basically yeah. having some affirming statements on their church websites. Right. Um, that in many ways is sort of in line with this report that Classic Grand Rapids East has right. by no means hidden. You can go to Classic yeah. Grand Rapids East and it's right there on their website. They want people to read this and they want people to understand that their yeah. classes is very much um, affirming this position in their report. This is where many or a majority of their classes apparently has their convictions. Um, not certainly all of them, but right. but there's, like you said, it's a, it's enough of them that they're willing to have this as a public face. And in their response to the Council of Delegates who um, took the unusual uh, step of writing Nealon and writing classes Grand Rapids East, and, uh, um, you know, they responded back saying, that's not your business, not your prerogative, uh, almost, and, and kind of taking the side of Nealon to some extent, defending Nealon and saying, you know, you you don't you don't belong. Don't put your nose here a little bit. Yeah. Was how I would just interpret it. So, yeah. a little bit, so little anyway. bit more background for for people yeah. listening. This fight had gone on for a long time in the Reformed Church of America, the RCA, right. and, and really precipitated the breakup of the RCA that we've been seeing over the last yeah. year or so. And yeah. and and the way part of the difference in in the RCA ministers are the ordination of by classes. And also the structure of the RCA is such that there are a number of classes in the eastern United States that had affirming stances and postures. There are many other congregations and classes in the RCA that wanted to address that, but because of the structure of the RCA, um, basically um, churches, those classes could block the will of synod with mm -hmm. respect to these decisions. Yeah. And and it was the frustration with that structure that really brought um, what has been sort of the the fragmentation of right. the Reformed Church of America. Yeah, and sadly. anybody who's watched my channel knows that I think that some kind of um, some kind of division or split, I believe, at this point, is inevitable in the Christian Reformed mm -hmm. Church. Now, and and it's for that reason that I found your overture very interesting because. You know, recently there's been kind of a third way group that I want to yeah. talk to some people from them who want to say, no, we should um, we should abide by this. Your overture is very interesting. And I and so when we okay. get there, that's, let's, that's why we're talking. So keep yep, going. that's why we're talking. So, um, yeah, I, the kitchen sink overture narrowed down into overture 12 on the 2022 agenda. However, class of Zealand, you know, as ignorant as some people think they that we are, they weren't going to try and send me three times in a row. And they're like, we really need a synod. So so they they selected two other delegates, uh, Aaron Friesman and uh, Stephen Terpstra, and and sent them in 2022. And we were successful. We had a class, uh, a meeting of synod. So yes, so I'm I'm owing to at this point. Uh, after Synod met and uh, made the decisions on the human sexuality report on uh, going ahead and forming the committee in loco to deal with classes Grand Rapids East, as well as uh, Neyland Avenue, um, you know, there was pushback. Uh, Neyland, I think about a month or a few weeks later, said, we're going to appeal. We're not going to listen to. And Grand Rapids East has kind of taken the stance of, we're going to let this play out. We're not going to get involved either. So, and, um, but neither is Grand Rapids East going to rescind 
their study committee or oh, no, and, they're not, and not their posture of, mm-hmm. of in some ways, um, you know, they, they certainly are not disciplining Neyland Avenue Correct. nor Correct. Um, Eastern Avenue or Sherman Street yep. at this point either. Yep. So that brings us up to uh, October of 22. Uh, it was the day after our classes meeting and I was uh, working in the kitchen, uh, helping with dishes or, or something like that on a Friday. And uh, I was watching a video as I did. And uh, that's where, you know, this overture that we were gathered to speak about came from. So I think, Paul, you have the clip from the video played oh, up. Oh, okay. The, up all and, right. Give me give me a second here. And yeah. um, let's... You can uh, hear the words that got my mind turning. <laughs> all right. I put this, I put this video on... Um, I put this video on my Vanderclips channel, and this is from. So, All One Body is a a group in the Christian Reformed Church that um, has been meeting for quite a while. Who have yeah. who have been, you know, wanting the Christian Reformed Church to go into a much more affirming posture. They have their own mm-hmm. website. They've had their own meetings. They have their own YouTube channel. And so, this video is a response after 2022 of. Um, of what they're doing. So let's play some of this. And if Lloyd, if you don't hear the sound, let me know. Okay. Consciously object to Senna's decisions and declare themselves a welcoming and affirming church. Um, let me start the response to that question. Um, and again, I want to make it clear. I'm only speaking out of our own personal experience at Eastern Avenue. Um, Eastern Avenue has made such a statement publicly now I should note that that the Christian Reformed Church is a small place. So I've known Thea for quite a few years. Uh, Thea is the um, uh, I don't she might be retired now. She was the pastor. Yeah, she of, just retired. Yeah, uh, she was she was also one of the first women who would uh, preside at Synod as uh, president of Synod. So Thea's been in the denomination a long time and is you know well respected in many quarters, well known. And so and Dwayne Kelderman, former basically vice president of operations at Calvin Seminary um, when Neil Plantinga was president. So, you know, a lot of people watching this won't know these people, but in the Christian Reformed Church, these are very high status people, very well known. And in terms of the thesis that I've been developing, I would call these people very much part of the establishment of the Christian Reformed Church. Is that fair? Yep. Okay. There we go. And they've informed classes Grand Rapids East of that policy that they've made. Um, we are one of four congregations in our classes that have made public statements like that. Um, so, and in our classes so far, no other congregation has raised an issue or, uh, at least formally raised an issue with those positions taken by these four congregations. So for us, it's been, um, a good thing, a wonderful thing to have embraced that position and to let ourselves, let the broader community and church uh, know where we stand. Um, but we haven't felt like we're, we also felt like we've been in a safe classes where we can make that statement and not feel like we're going to be uh, rebuked or have our council deposed or any of those kinds of actions taken against it. it it's important also to note that in the Christian Reformed Church, classes can, you know, discipline, call to account local congregations 
they can depose classes can depose the council mm-hmm. of a local congregation if the classes doesn't believe the local congregation is doing what they should be doing. So that's hence her statement. Yep. Um, I think you can take that stand, but again, you have to be really aware of how your how your classes will react to that um, and what the response would be. Um, I know that um, we have Henry DeMore as part of our classes, and he has also suggested that as... Henry DeMore is the retired professor of church order. He's the one that I actually, you know, when I was in seminary, he was my church order prof. The congregation, if a congregation makes that kind of affirmative stand, they really are not compelled by church order to make that public to classes. They can keep it a private statement if they so wish. They don't have, they're not obligated to inform inform classes of that decision. Um, Does that mean you shouldn't? Well, I think it's much more honest and open and loving to let the rest of your classes know where you stand on that. And and in fact, you know, obviously Easton Avenue and Sherman Street both have statements on their, on their websites. So they're not just informing classes. It's, it's become a public um, a public stance of their local congregation. Right. Um, but he would say that uh, church order is very clear that you, you are not obligated to share that with your classes if you don't wish to. But um, Dave, you've got some thoughts about that too, I think, right? I don't know how much uh, I have thoughts about it, but I, I think you're right that a lot will depend on one's uh, congregational context and then classes context. Um I think it probably would fall somewhere in the realm of conscientious objection. I'm not sure otherwise how it fits with sort of um, agreements and, and church order rules in our denomination uh, to make such for a, a church or a council to make such a statement. Um, um, I might point again, maybe I'm becoming a broken record out of the fact that Synod's created this odd situation we're in, um, where again, it already knew what a lot of people thought and what a lot of people felt that their ministry, what they were called to do by God for the sake of other people, for the sake of queer people in our communities. Um, That's a serious thing to wrestle with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not a decision I would make lightly at all. It requires a lot of conversation at the congregational level. Uh, Dwayne, you've experienced that at Neyland. I know you did not rush to a decision at all about taking the stance Neyland took, so. Yeah. No, and when Neeland made its decision, um, it was deciding something very much in the context of um, Synod's pronouncements on homosexuality being pastoral advice. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, uh, we're no longer in that context. We've given confessional status to this. So it makes it all the more weighty, um, but it, it doesn't, what doesn't change is that Congregations have their own conscience about these things. And as Dave says, Synod um, made this decision fully aware of of the different um, conscience that people have about these matters. And I think a lot of people don't realize that, um, that a very important reformed principle is um, we do not we as the church do not bind the conscience where scripture does not bind the conscience. And when it's not clear that scripture is binding the conscience, 
Reformed people want to stay away from that. It goes back to our Catholic, you, you know, the dealing with the Catholic Church, and it was a feeling that the Roman Catholic Church was just binding the conscience of local churches all over the place without scriptural warrant and where there wasn't scriptural clarity. And Reformed people really want to stay away from that. And um, yeah, we, we, it, it is a grave, important matter. I don't think that it is a matter of breaking covenant, which is an epitaph that has been used against Neeland a lot. Mm -hmm. I think even in this context, um, I would argue that um, the classes, the churches of classes Grand Rapids East have a deep covenantal connection to the Christian Reformed Church, very deep. And that that covenantal connection uh, is not changed because it has made some uh, radical decisions, uh, even in the context of this now having confessional status. This is where a lot of um, ink will be spilled in the coming years. <laughs> it, it will indeed. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, I went ahead and I guess I took that challenge and said, well, it's time to spill some ink then. <laughs> so, you know, the, the disagreement is, the question is, we don't believe in binding the conscience beyond what scripture says. The challenge is one side says this is something that scripture declares and we have to abide by it. And the other is saying, well, scripture doesn't really apply like that to this situation. And so we should have freedom to 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 seek out our own way. That's right. kind of how I would put it. Right. Which is why for um, since for a very since before you were ordained, I have been admonishing the denomination that we need to have confessional conversations with respect to this, because it's exactly, I mean, what confessions do is in many ways sort of lay out the way in which we, they don't really lay out because they're not necessarily hermeneutical documents as mm -hmm. such, but they, they give what, what confessional, what confessions do is basically inform others, this is our reading in scripture. And so I, I was really, you know, when when you told me about that clip, I, I very much wanted to play it all to let Dwayne, um, you know, let Dwayne speak his, you know, go get through to the end of the point there, because this this question of confessionality is important. And and really, it the question, it, really, the question is, OK, um, is this stance with respect to human sexuality confessional or not? And um, obviously. You know, if if Dwayne says, well, scripture is unclear with this, I think many churches and people in the Christian Reformed Church would say, no, it's precisely because scripture is not unclear in this. And, mm -hmm. and in a lot of ways, you know, part of the fight over women in church office was also with respect to this. And yeah. the way that the Christian Reformed Church sort of dealt with that was um, deciding to say, we are going to leave this at, let's, we're going to look for a political solution, a pragmatic solution. And whereas that, in fact, in the late nineties, got that issue off the synod docket, um, it, in many ways, it didn't actually resolve the issue for the church. And, and what was interesting for me is that even though I've, I've always been a proponent of use of women's gifts in ordained ministry in the Christian Reformed church, um, the conversation stopped hmm. once one side won, then that side tended to be much more aligned with the, the establishment of the church and mm -hmm. the other side lost. Then it was, okay, we're not going to talk about this anymore. It's like, 
wait a minute, I was around in the early 90s when everyone say, well, let's leave this to the spirit. Okay, right. let's see what the spirit has to say. Okay, but since the 1990s, there's sort of been a, a mood by the winners of that fight that said, yeah, well, we're not going to talk about what we think the spirit is saying because suddenly then we're going to be talking about this issue again. And because we won politically, now we don't want to talk about it anymore. And I always found that to be number one, unfair. And number two, well, wait a minute. This These questions are difficult. And I've always been, you know, we need to talk about this. We need to process this. And so then, of course, when this issue came up, the the affirming side basically said, well, we need to approach this like women in office. And the other side said, uh, no, I don't think, <laughs> I don't, we don't see, we don't see that, we, we don't think that that actually went well. And so yeah. we actually, we're going to approach this differently. And, and of course, it is a different, I think it is a very oh. different um, question as well. Right, so, right. Anyway, so very good. So anyway, uh, after watching that video, I started working on an overture um, in Classes Zealand. We our meeting of classes to send overtures to Synod is uh, usually first week of February, which makes our deadline, agenda deadline, uh, falls three or four days before Christmas, which means you have to have it done and complete and by the council uh, before that time. And the reality is there is an in-local committee that has been faithfully working with Neyland Avenue, Grand Rapids East. They are going to be sending recommendations to Synod and we have no idea what those are going to be. And so part of something that I included in this overture is, you know, maybe, maybe Grand Rapids East will say, okay, we were wrong and turn and go the opposite way and we can throw this thing out, never need to talk about it. Uh, maybe the in local committee will come with recommendations and I say, oh yeah, those are perfect. And, you know, Synod doesn't even need to consider this because yeah, in local committee or maybe in local committee is like, Hey, we tried, this is what we could do. And Synod's going to need, at least in the advisory committee, other things to discuss, other things to talk about. What options do we have? Um, when I submitted this overture to my, uh, cla to, to my classes, the CIT classes interim team uh, gave me a response I hadn't received for one of my overtures before. Um, they they said, well, that's a novel idea. And they actually struck an ad hoc committee with the uh, mandate to go back and come up with something more broad, general, and, uh, and, and dealt with uh, the churches that are a problem and basically create a new different... Uh, uh, overture from what we put forward. So I was like, okay, that's some data to think about how this is being received. And part of my reason of reaching out to you is when people first see this overture, they're not going to say, oh, this just makes sense. Uh, however, on the ad hoc committee, what ended up happening was there were two members of CIT, uh, one of the pastors that's a church order expert and myself on that committee. And as we sat down and talked and wrestled with, you know, there aren't a lot of mechanisms in our church order for dealing with a runaway church or a runaway classes. And so it's question, what does that mean? How does that look? And the ad hoc committee uh, ended up coming to the unanimous decision of, 
just changing a couple of things. They added the, under historical precedent, the whole uh, paragraph on the RCA and what is going on um, there. That was added by that ad hoc committee. But the ad hoc committee said, we are going to recommend to classes that this be adopted and sent to synod for consideration, discussion, debate. And so that is uh, that is what, what took place. So okay. I think that covers the introduction of the overture. Biblical confessional grounds, I cite from Galatians 6, 1 and 2, and just this idea that, hey, God's people are in covenant together. We have the responsibility to one another. We can't just say, yeah, they're doing their thing and whatever happens, happens. We have a responsibility to care for one another. Uh, scrolling down a little more, uh, Article 28 of Belgic Confession states that all are duty-bound to join the church and unite themselves with it maintaining the unity of the church, submitting themselves to the doctrine and discipline thereof, bowing their necks under the yoke of Jesus Christ and as, as, and as mutual members of the same body. And of course, that in our covenant for office bearers uh, picks up that language as well and, and says we are in covenant together. And I'll say, I will link, I will link the, a copy of this overture in the show notes, as well as the other videos and the other materials that, that we're using here. So yep. people Very want good. them, they can find them there. All right. Uh, under historical president, precedent, uh, there's the whole section on the RCA. You know, there's a couple of pastors in my classes that came from the RCA because of kind of the direction that things were going there. That was part of the reason that they said, okay, I'm going to go serve in the CRC. So that is a very real problem. And Classes Zealand was the largest, as I understand it, uh, classes of the RCA denomination. And, uh, uh, you know, 2015, it had 23 organized churches. And uh, I heard the report, it's down to something like uh, six or seven wow. as the latest, even beyond uh, this. So, I mean, that's what's taking place. And that just talks about, hey, the seriousness of what we're discussing here. Okay. Um, next paragraph, uh, there I cite Article 39 from our church order uh, in dealing with classes, and it says, the organization of a new classes and the redistricting of a classes requires the approval of synod. Uh, jumping to before that even, I missed a line, classes are to offer mutual support and accountability, also from Article 39, and sustain connection with the wider denomination. So, that's the purpose of a classes. It's supposed to be working together and, and at the same time, keeping us all in line together as, with the denomination. And, and my, my, uh, my uh, what I would put forward is classes Grand Rapids East is not working together with the denomination. Um, so there's the discussion of redistricting under that. Any requests for transfer to an our classes may include grounds that go beyond the sole matter of geographic proximity Synod is at liberty to consider such grounds in its disposition of the request. So I think that does all of the two pages of preamble. Gives a little well, snapshot of what well, we got there. You want to dig in? There's a point here about generally speaking. Yeah. Um, if a church wishes, usually this is proposed by a local church. Correct. Um, and usually the local church says I would like we would like to be part of this other classes and in mm -hmm. recent years because of of um you know classes Mincota, for example is a classes yep. that um as is in some ways has gotten less geographical I'll say that 
-hmm. churches from different places in the denomination have joined classism and coda. That's unusual in the Christian Reformed Church. Correct. The Reformed Church of America, um, the Reformed Church of America had established basically um some um oh what, what should we call non-geographical classes. Um uh, what, what I'm just I'm just going to pull up the church order here, and um, uh, okay. Uh, what what church order? What what um, what article are we talking about here? Thirty nine. Thirty nine. Thirty nine. Do we all know yeah. what Article Seventeen is? Yeah. Um, no, these ones not as not as not as not as broad knowledge of Article Thirty Nine. No, so we're not as conversant uh, with it. No, because this is this is going to be a big issue with respect to this overture as Correct. to whether or not synod can initiate um, transfers of churches right. from. Um, let's see. I'm just let me and change the screen. Yeah, that that was brought up as a um, possible objection to this overture uh, on on the floor of Class of Zealand. I believe it. Uh, it, it, it <laughs> so, you know, we discussed that um, calling into. Uh, yeah, I'll let you go 39 and then we'll 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 go, I can talk a little more on that. But OK, so Article 39. And I know for some people it's like, gosh, what a weird video. First, we start with sort of a randos video. We get the whole dude story then we play a video from another group. And now we're <laughs> it, deep into the weeds of deep this into thing. church order. OK, a classis as a group of Christian Reformed churches that come together to seek, discern and submit to God's will offer one another mutual support and accountability, find ways to live out a collective calling within their region, and allow for a healthy, sustained connection to the wider denomination. A classist cult shall consist of a group of neighboring churches, the organization of a new church, and redistricting of classes requires the approval of synod. Okay. Correct. Now, it's, it's also helpful to know that, so you have church orders, and then you have supplements to it that, that subsequent synods have put down it's helpful to notice that, for example, when I was growing up, we had um, in the in the fight over women in church office, classes Hackensack was one that would seat women, classes Hudson wouldn't. So it's not unusual in an area where there are multiple Christian Reformed Church classes in close geographic proximity to have a degree of sorting. So a, a church can find a classes where they have more affinity than other classes. So that's not an unusual thing. So the supplement, the classes through its treasurer is responsible for the receipt and disbursements of classical denominational funds, more prosperous churches assisting the more needy ones, classes 1992. Any request for transfer to another classes may include grounds that go beyond the sole matter of geographic proximity. Senate is at liberty to consider such grounds in its disposition of the request. And that was Senate 1996. Correct. And again, if you look at the date, 1996, that was after the decision um, to for the local option for right. women serving in ecclesiastical office. And so some churches wanted to move around in order to be able to be in a church, in a classes that either allowed it or did not allow it. And again, that tended to happen usually if classes are in close geographical proximity, but in the case of classes Minkota, Correct. Some, I mean, there there's some churches, I believe, in Western Michigan that are part of classes, 
Minkota, that this Minkota is, is Minnesota and Dakota. So yes, yes. So this is this is a this is an issue. So okay, back so, to back to the story. All right. Uh, so yeah, that was brought up. Um, usually, this is uh, proposed by the church, local church, and it is normally uh, receives approval from both the uh, classes that they're leaving as well as the classes that's receiving them. There, there's normally those kind of discussions that take place. And um, it was brought up on the, the floor of Classes Zealand that, you know, with Sparta Trinity, who moved to Classes Minkota, the church that I was a member of, um, that they had requested, and this delegate was serving at church in Grand Rapids North at the time, Grand Rapids North had given permission and their blessing. And I, I said, yeah, that is exactly how it happened. However, Synod said no, and they refused to make that transfer and to let those churches go. The following year, Sparta Trinity had, and some other churches had said, well, let's have a theological classes and put that forward as an overture. And um, Synod said no and said, actually, we're going to do what we said la no to last year. And so they moved Sparta and moved them into Minkota, not in the year that they were requesting that. It was something that had been turned down by Synod, but the following Synod said, okay, maybe that's how we'll deal with it and how we'll get rid of you. And so um, I was actually in my first year of, uh, of seminary, I was supported by classes Grand Rapids North. And then in my second year with now four kids in the household, I had to switch my support through seminary over to classes Minkota and figure that out. So that was how that played out. So in other words, there's precedent. Cla Synod moved these churches. I mean, there had been a request. There had been. But it's this really gets into the weeds of Christian <laughs> politics. Oh yeah, because because a local church council is sort of an ongoing thing. Mm -hmm. Classes exists by virtue of the delegation. So, Correct. so there while there are institutions that sort of maintain the continuity of classes and synod. Each senate and each classes is of itself a distinct thing. That's germane to this question because, generally speaking, if you really want to lean into the argument that senate has no authority to redistrict the classes, the issue that you just described, in fact, does lend precedent to the fact that that synod redistricted some congregations mm -hmm. of its own initiative not upon the request of that congregation, even though in a previous it. year right. it had been. That's a very interesting thing. So, so this, this is why we're having that, the conversation. That's why we're having the conversation. So uh, with that, I'll go ahead and I'll just go ahead and read the overture for a minute and let's see what we're talking about. Okay. Uh, overture, therefore, Class of Zealand Overture Synod 2023 to A. Redistrict churches currently in Classes Grand Rapids East, moving them immediately to new and geographically approximate classes and giving these churches dual classical affiliation from the close of syn this synod until March 15th, 2024. And the grounds for that, for these congregations to be better united to the Christian Reformed Church and experience the loving and accountability that we owe them, they shall immediately become members of their new classes. B. 
redistrict wait, wait, the current hang churches? On, hang on, hang on. Okay, let me, okay. Let me understand this first one. Yep. So redistrict churches, moving them immediate, immediately to new and geographically approximate classes, and right. giving these churches dual classical affiliation. That, mm -hmm. Explain that part. Dual classical affiliation is my way of saying um, we're making an entire classes go away and it's not at their request and there's going to be work for them to do. There's going to be things that they're going to need to tidy up the books and put okay. things in order. And so I'm saying they are going to be from the end of this, their council reports to that classes, but classes Grand Rapids East, uh, we don't get to that addressing that until number C. Okay. And so I'm saying there's going to be work that we we recognize will have to be accomplished. So and classes so Grand Rapids East dual... wouldn't go away immediately. There would be a Correct. buffer period by which they would have to resolve legal, financial, those kinds exactly. of issues. And, and but but these these this, this this I couldn't believe it when I read this. So keep going. All right, let's keep okay. going. Uh, I don't know if I need to go over two, but I have a, a recommended or a suggested way of splitting up the yep. congregations and where uh, which classes could take them. I'll yep. just read the grounds from B. Uh, if the denomination is to effectively shepherd these congregations going forward, it will be critical for the churches that are out of line to be split up. They can't all just be going the same direction together. Uh, and for new relationships and opportunities for accountability and mutual discipleship to be forged. And then the reason I selected these uh, four classes to receive them is they're all part of the same geographical region that our denomination already has set up, Great Lakes, Grand Rapids region, metro region. And so that's the, that's the explanation there. Then we can move on to C. C, declare that Classes Grand Rapids East will complete its work on March 15th of 2024 and be dissolved. And grounds by failing to lovingly correct Neyland Avenue and now permitting at least four different congregations to declare, declare themselves affirming, defying the long-held teaching of our denomination, it is clear this classes is no longer effectively serving the body. As such, its ministries and good work should be completed or transitioned to the new classes as GRE deems best. Hmm. Well, why don't we finish it off and then we'll talk All right, about it. Finish it off. Okay. And then D, um, as uh, Thea had mentioned, was a possible situation with a council being deposed. Uh, we also have that included in item D. Remind the four receiving classes that should a council of an incoming church remain obstinate and refuse to bring their teaching and practices in line with our denomination, after what the receiving classes believes is sufficient time under Articles 27B and 83 of church order, the classes does have the power to remove the entire sitting council of a congregation in rebellion and assist that congregation in electing a new slate of office bearers. And the grounds, a study committee to at Synod 1926 found that when a majority of a consistory is worthy of special dis discipline, supplement Article 82 through 84, there is no remaining consistory to invite a neighboring consistory. Naturally, only the classes under which such an unfaithful consistory resorts can, as the next broadest assembly, exercise the necessary discipline. From Acts of Synod, 1926. That's the overture. Uh, let me give you a few comments. Yeah. Um, on a on a church order, see, part of the issue that that the next couple of synods are going to have to deal with is. While there is clear 
there is clearly a way for a classist to discipline and depose a local council. Um, mm -hmm. Part of the question here has been, uh, can, um, can synod act against a local congregation? Now, mm -hmm. a few years ago, there was a, um, a question about kinism with respect to yeah. one congregation, and, and synod in some ways just sort of swooped in um, created a created a new category in church order, which this past synod sort of tried to walk back a little bit, that of heresy. Mm -hmm. um, so there was that issue. What this, what this, the, there are a few things that I like about this overture and a few <laughs> things that I have some concerns about. I'll tell yeah. you what I like first, and then I'll tell you my concerns. Fair I, enough. I like the fact that this, um, that this in fact, in one way, it, it recognizes the authority of classes mm -hmm. to deal with its congregations. Right. And part of what we've seen is that um, that that authority of classes can be used, as we saw in the RCA, to block um, the broader assemblies from, from engaging with local congregations. Mm -hmm. And because the Christian Reformed Church is a lot younger than the Reformed Church of America, there isn't really a mechanism for the Christian Reformed Church to really engage with a classis that is significantly out of step with the rest of the denomination. And, and what I like about this would be that they would there would be the potential for these churches and other new classes to um, actually, I think in some ways, moderate um, this discussion and bring this discussion um, into a fuller view, but still local. Mm -hmm. In other words, um, it isn't it isn't the case that let's say if you if you sent out these churches to other classes that immediately these other classes um, would just immediately discipline these churches. Mm -hmm. A conversation would begin, and that right. would be a classical conversation rather than a synodical to a local church congregation. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason for the Christian Reformed Church structure is there's an understanding that, generally speaking, you do want some levels in this because mm -hmm. if someone is, that, hence a local committee, local people in face-to-face -face conversations will have better conversations than someone coming from a binational committee to a local church that mm -hmm. might not be in relationship. So yeah. I, like, I like that bit of it. This is, this is creative. My pause about this is that while on, in some ways it um, recognizes the, the authority of the classes, because remember the Christian Reformed Church tries to balance these three assemblies, um, it, it also, because this, the, um, the recommendation for this is not coming from a local church or a classist, it also at the same time sort of undermines that classical authority, which right. would mean that this is this is the one way to think about this is a strengthening of synodical power with respect to classes. One thing you probably don't know is that actually I got to know Thea Link um, <laughs> over when I was doing a fair amount of work with classical things. And she had been doing a lot of denominational work with respect to uh, classical renewal and classical development. And so part of what she and I have, have spoken of quite a bit, spoken with quite a bit in the past, has been this question of in 
um, in the last number of years, I think we've seen an erosion of classical authority. And part of my concern about this overture would be potentially this sets up an enormous reduction of classical authority with respect to that balance. Because mm -hmm. if Synod begins deciding it wants to tinker with the matrix of the Christian Reformed Church by moving churches around mm -hmm. without, because um, I don't think Classis Grand Rapids East will like this. I don't think most of I the churches in Classis Grand Rapids East will like this. If mm -hmm. Synod decides tinkering with the the makeup of the Christian Reformed Church by moving churches around, mm -hmm. that's a that's potentially sort of like the heresy thing. That could be a massive tool for unbalancing the mm -hmm. the relationship. So those are those are my initial thoughts. Okay, fair enough. And I mean, yeah, this is obviously um, out of the ordinary. This isn't just business as usual, the way we've always done things by any means. Uh, at the same time, we also saw a classis admonished uh, by synod and an in local committee set up to admonish a classis and a classis that has um, received that admonishment for a little more than information to some extent publicly. And so, I mean, where we're at is uncharted waters, no matter how you look at this. And the question is, how are we going to move forward? What, what are we going to do to move forward? What will the option be? Are we going to go to a better together in local, a local option that everybody just does what's right in their own eyes? I think that will be have very, very dramatic consequences for the entire denomination as well. And so something's going to be done. The question is, what is it and how are we going to do it? Does Synod just say, well, it's not in church order, but this is what we're going to do? Or do we say, well, this is what's in church order. This is what we have the power to do. And this is how we continue the process. So yeah. the, the um, I, I think, you know, part of what happened in Synod 22 was, I think, the recognition that um, the Christian Reformed Church, and I made a video about this, that there's there's long been sort of a circulatory system within the denominational right. body. And that has been changing. And mm -hmm. my thesis for a number of years has been that the Christian Reformed Church is likely going to continue to get more conservative with respect to a number of issues. Now, the conservative progressive dichotomy, I, I don't think it works as well as people imagine it does, because mm -hmm. the truth is um, the, the church is always changing in different things. But with respect to human sexuality, I think one of the things that Synod 2022 showed was that what has been, in many respects, the establishment in the Christian Reformed Church has gotten significantly out of step with um, a large segment of the body. Mm -hmm. And we've seen, there have been signs of that in Synod after Synod after Synod. I remember a Synod where, you know, almost, the, it was almost a perfunctory overture from a classis, often Minn Kota, to somehow rein in or dissolve the Office of Social Justice, oh, yeah. and that usually is mollified. I remember a synod I went to where the um, the banner editor, uh, you know, gave a, a tearful apology for some of the things that he had written. Um, that was actually Henry DeMore's brother, Bob. Um, but generally speaking, synod sort of backed the establishment. And I was at a synod mm -hmm. where the 
majority report from the um, from the advisory committee offered sort of again a mollification thing, and I remember that failing in the full session. And when I saw that, I thought things are changing. Right. And when 2016 came around, and and that way of constructing the um, the human sexuality report committee um, passed the full section, I I said things are changing significantly. And when I think I, I expected the human sexuality report to pass, I was less sure about the confessional statement with mm -hmm. respect to the Heidelberg catechism, but when it passed with the, actually I knew with the voting of the executive in of that Senate, mm -hmm. how mm -hmm. things were going to go, but the votes weren't close. Right. And I think what that has led to, is that in a sense we've had an establishment in an establishment in denial about the degree to which it was out of step with the right. rest of the denomination and 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 that's why i mean the many have likened the reaction to synod 2022 at classis grand rapids east and some other places in the denomination very much in terms of grief i mean there's been mm -hmm. denial mm -hmm. <laughs> um, i mean it, it's been right right it, it's been massive but to me yeah the land the, the landscape is clear and even right. if there's going to be a few votes going back and forth i don't think synod 2023 is going to alter this course at all mm -hmm. so yeah we will we will I don't see. know um, that your overture will go too far because it'll, right. it's going right. to have these questions yeah. that the Christian Reformed Church, again, like you say, it's usually sort of a middle way denomination. Right. Synod doesn't like to make big moves generally. Yeah. So like in 2022, when Synod makes a big move, that means yeah. that that wasn't a big move probably for two thirds to three quarters of the church. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Just uh, I would say that Synod um, 2023 is in jeopardy at this point uh as classes zealand has nominated delegated me to serve so <laughs> we'll see if i'm uh, if i can Another go three pandemic. for three <laughs> so you've heard it first here if you if you want to put some money on that i don't know where you do but <laughs> stock up on masks and toilet paper exactly. right toilet now paper, right right so so that's going to happen uh, the other thing that was brought up both in our ad hoc uh committee discussing this overture as well as on the forum of floor of classes that possibly swayed to more people uh, voting for this overture was the an idea that you've put forward a couple times, Paul, even in our discussion today, how insulated classes Grand Rapids East has yeah. been with yeah. the establishment yeah. of our denomination yeah. and how that's been unhealthy to some extent, yeah. that yeah. such a high percentage of our university, our seminary, our denominational leaders are all isolated to this one classes. Yeah. And, you know, um, this delegate said, you know, throwing out just the the issue on the floor and human sexuality and all these things, there's a good argument for making this move and yes. and redistricting these these churches just to broaden the amount of conversation in our denomination. And so that was one of the arguments that was put forward that people were like, I think, uh, swayed all the more to vote in favor of of this overture and sending it on for to synod for. For consideration, what are we doing with all of our establishment, primarily in one classes? Wouldn't it be healthier if they were interacting with the broader church? And so, 
So that was that was put forward too as an idea for why, hey, maybe this should be considered. Maybe it's overdue even. Yeah. No, I and I think that's a good argument because I agree with it. And I I actually am planning on doing a video of an even more radical idea than this one. <laughs> oh. Um because in, you know, as as we move closer to synod, I, I've actually been encouraged by the increasing creativity I've seen and energy coming out of of different sectors in the church. And I I think we culture, you know, just looking so Dan Ackerman and Tim Vink, both guys that I know. Uh Dan Ackerman was a classmate of mine at seminary. I worked with him when I was on the whole missions board. I mean, they yeah. spun up a, an RCA split off, you know, oh, basically yeah not much more than two guys and some web tools. Um, and and even the, the question about what a denomination is, mm-hmm. what is it for, um, this these are these are conversations that we have needed to have and have been having, but not real well. Right. Um, I don't know that the denomination, I got to be careful here because I think that the Christian Forum denomination has done some things in, an, in a very excellent way. I think its basic structure is really sound. Um, I think it's got tremendous resources, but we are facing um, we are facing challenges that our structures were simply never designed to right. engage. Right. And so I, you know, everybody, anybody who watches my channel knows that I'm probably way too open and sometimes way too creative and willing to talk about ideas, and that will make some people really annoyed by this video. Right? But um, <laughs> so be it. I've uh, I've made my peace with who I am, and um, that's that's the way it goes. So no, I actually right? think that last point you made is true because I think mm-hmm. the I think I think probably many of those churches would be healthier. To and, and in fact, the minority committee, the minority committee and the minority report in Senate 2022 basically said we need more conversation. I agree with that. The question is, how can we structure um, ourselves and facilitate the conversation to um, that that will actually bless both sides? Because yeah. I, I, we need more conversations and. Part of what made, at least for a while, the relationship between the CRC and the RCA profitable was that relationship facilitated conversations we were struggling to have in the CRC. Mm-hmm. And um, and so I think, um, you know, even if we are, we might have a split to the left, which is very unusual. Generally speaking, churches split right and leak left. The CRC yeah. has been leaking left massively for a long time now. And that's part of the reason that the church is getting more conservative. And a lot of conservatives don't appreciate that either. So if we, in fact, have a split left, my hope, because I, you know, I'd like to say to these churches, um, Eastern Avenue and um, some of the other churches in their classes, if this is your vision, pursue it, see where it goes, do the confessional work. Because I think um, part of my annoyance with the the posture of the churches that want to go affirming is I don't think they're doing the confessional work. I think they are sort of, and, and, and I think we saw this with the women in church office, um, the women in church office um, settled. I mean, we had a split right because of women in church office, but mm-hmm. then the left stopped doing the work. Mm. They, they, they produced, they, they pursued the, the pragmatic goals, but, 
the reflection about uh, ecclesiology, because really the Women in Church Office conversation has a lot to do with ecclesiology. But mm -hmm. again, what we're doing as a church is we're just sort of becoming proxies for broader cultural um, culture wars. And that's right. a really bad way for a church yeah. to go about this. Yeah. So yeah. I, I, I actually like the overture. I don't know that it's going to have a lot of uh, chance of passing. I'm glad it gets into the synodical consciousness right. that at some point someone might say, hey, you know, um, this might be a better way of seeking unity than because the local option is not on the it's not going to happen. Yeah, it, if, th it, there's not. Going if it to does, be, there'll be shockwaves from it if if that were to happen. That's for sure. Yeah, so, my, my yeah. concern is because synod tends to be. I, when I say conservative here, I don't mean that ideologically, but conservative in terms of pragmatically, because Senate mm -hmm. tends to conservative be conservative. If if conservative churches see a um, a lessening of the momentum of the accountability that they are demanding, I think actually what we would see in the Christian Reformed Church is something more like we have seen in the RCA. Yeah. In other words, yeah. synod synod. <clears throat> Part of the benefit of the Christian Reformed Church system is that synod is more reactive and more responsive to the churches in the Christian Reformed Church right. than the RCA was to its congregation. So that's mm -hmm. in our that's that's a helpful thing for us. But if the CRC would sort of stumble or balk at this point, then I'm afraid we're going to see a fragmentation. Right. And and then I and again my priority in this is I'm more flexible with respect to structure. But I'm I, I want to see the organic body be able to facilitate the kinds of conversations to do the theological reflection, to do the confessional conversation that these really significant questions that are coming forward to us really demand and require. And I right. think for the Christian Reformed Church to really think well through these things, we need the left and the right lobes actually connected and engaging. Now, structurally, there might need to be some accommodations because of these differences. But I, because the truth is the way the Christian Reformed Church is, even if there's a split left or a split right, a lot of people in West Michigan might not know this, at least in Grand Rapids might not know this, but in many parts in the Christian Reformed Church, Christian Reformed churches and churches in the United Reformed Church, the splinter from the women church mm -hmm. office, many of those churches still have connections, familial mm -hmm. connections, pastoral connections, uh, working together connections. So in many ways, the Christian Reformed Church as a family, they might, some groups might not be talking to each other, but they're still part of a family. And just like with the RCA, they're still going to be looking at each other and thinking and wondering, and people are going to be hopping back and forth. So if we can actually structure for better conversations, I think sides will be happier and we'll all get to learn more. That's, yep. that's my dog in this fight. Yep. Yep. So. Well, there it is. There it is. <laughs> I can't wait to, I haven't, I have been tempted to leak again. I Christian reform CRC voices is not for everyone, but, I, to me, it's a place that I go to discuss these kinds of things okay. with, with people on both sides. Len Vandes right. has been on my channel, um, some office bearers from some of these churches that are in Grand Rapids East, but also some other voices from all over the CRC. 
um, very conservative and more progressive people on Voices. And so that's a place I go to discuss this. I was tempted to initiate this, but I thought, nah, we'll make the video first because I want <laughs> I, I want this to be properly introduced so that people can understand, have a higher resolution picture of the denomination of right. this fight and of abide too, because I've already seen, you know, all one body abide. Da, 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 da. Um, right, okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But let's, um, let's, let's lower the, the hostility and let's, let's talk more. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I appreciate you uh, having me on for this conversation that, uh, you know, I went with the reaction of my CIT. I was like, we're going to have to, you don't just send this overture to Synod and see what happens. This one's going to need some more conversation. And so I was, yeah. I was thankful you were willing to say, okay, let's talk about that. So yeah. I appreciate that, Paul. Yeah. Well, thank you, Lloyd. Thanks for giving me your time. And, um, and yeah, we'll see what happens to this. <laughs> we will. <laughs> All right. All right. Take care. Good to meet you. you. Too. Nice meeting you. All right. Bye-bye.